From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca, your host, and just want you to know that I appreciate you listening to my show. So speak to me because my team and I spend lots of time and energy thinking and preparing for our show about things that I care about and that I think that you will too. So if you let me know what you're thinking, however you feel about my show, whether it be riveting, valuable, horrific, or offensive, whatever, you fill in the blank and jet me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. You can also go right to my website, talkwithfrancesca.com, and there's a contact form there that'll get right to me. Visit me on Facebook. I promise I'll get right back to you. If you miss part of the show, you can go to recent shows on my website. Again, that address is talkwithfrancesca.com. Listen there also on iTunes. So plenty of places to listen to talk with Francesca. So enough housekeeping. We've got lots to cover today. Sex trafficking. It's an evil in this world that we don't talk about very often. Sure, we see it on the TV, Law and Order, Criminal Minds. We may even see it on the news, but only the surface is actually scratched. This issue is very rarely ever tackled head on in the mainstream media. With that being said, there are still people out there who have dedicated their lives to ensuring that this injustice is put to an end. With us today is writer, speaker, and advocate Stephanie Clark. She is the executive director of AMERA, a nonprofit organization in Boston that strives to create a safe haven for the victims and survivors of sex trafficking. So a big welcome to you, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us today on Talk with Francesca. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm just going to start with um, the basics. Explain what sex trafficking actually is. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of times people get very, very confused thinking that sex trafficking involves a human being um, going across some sort of state lines or even international lines. And the truth is that that word trafficking can be a little bit confusing because it really has nothing to do with a person being moved has everything to do with three simple things, force, fraud, and coercion. And so sex trafficking in in a really defined nutshell is somebody is being forced, there was fraud, there was coercion into having sex with another human being for money, and that money is getting passed along to their trafficker, not to them. Stephanie, what is your interest in it? Do you have you know, did did you come up against something in your own life personally, or what is it about it that that interests you so much? You know, I've I've known about sex trafficking for a long time, um, and this was really something that my faith um, in God just kind of drove me towards wanting to be in this work. Um, my compassion for these women and, and compassion for what they've been through is something that really is is the driving factor on why I'm in this. Um, There are amazing survivors out there that, you know, actually do feel called as well to not just give back to this work, but actually they feel a purpose in this work as well too. Um, And so I'm always amazed when there are survivors that they have gone through their own journey of healing and and liberation, and then they know this is what I'm going to do with my life is, is get involved in this work as well too. Tell us a little bit about Amira. Am I pronouncing that properly? 
You are, yeah. So Amira is a faith-based nonprofit in the North Shore of Boston right now. Um, we have a safe home for women over the age of 18 who are sexually exploited, sex trafficked. Um, and what we do is a holistic, long-term um, program for them that involves every avenue of their whole being, um, helping them to recover from the trauma that they've been through. And and how do you go about doing that? Well, we get referrals um, from people like the FBI and Homeland Security. Those are our top referral partners. Um, truthfully, we get a phone call, at least one phone call every single week, some, usually multiple phone calls every single week saying, hey, I have a woman, do you have a bed open? Um, and we work to connect with these women doing an intake interview. And if they are ready to come into our home and into our program, then we start first with a 30-day program for them where we're going to help give them stabilization. Most of these women that we are seeing, um, they're dealing with not only the trauma of being trafficked, but they're also dealing with substance abuse. Um, Because if you can Mm. put your mind somehow in the state of, okay, I'm being trafficked and this is what's happening to me, no no woman really can do that. Um, And so a lot of traffickers will uh, coerce these women into doing this by getting them addicted to drugs. Um, And so you're dealing with trauma as well as substance abuse recovery. Um, And so what we're looking for is a woman that's really ready to actually deal with the extremely hard things. Um, And a lot of women that come to us, they are coming to us from years of being trafficked and years of living this cycle of exploitation. Most of the time they haven't really seen a doctor um, sometime in years, if you can imagine. And so we're offering them in that 30-day program really stabilization for them physically, um, an ability to, you know, give them just a calm space. And then if they really are ready, they can move on then to phase one of their program and continue on their journey with us. And how is this funded? Right now we're hundred percent donor funded, which I love to say, um, because really what it takes is a community. Mm -hmm. Um, it takes a community that is willing to see this evil and not run away from it. Um, and so our first safe home in the North Shore of Boston is fully funded by donors. We love them. They're amazing and awesome. Um, and we're working now towards expansion efforts. Um, so uh, technically, you're catching us really on the verge of saying, well, we, we used to be called Amir Boston, and now we're going to be called Amir New England. Um, oh, wow. And we're going to be working on expansion efforts. So, so if someone wanted to, to volunteer to help, how, how would they go about doing that? Is that even possible where I assume everything's so confidential? Yeah, it absolutely is possible. Um, I always joke around that we're looking for uh, two two criteria. You need to be normal and you need to love them. So the first, you know, one what, is the what's self-assessment. The one? What's the... <laughs> you need to love them. I love them. Oh, yeah. yeah. You need to be normal. What is, well, <laughs> what is normal? Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But we have a variety of volunteer opportunities. Um, so we, we have things, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I, I can't imagine ever um, sitting with a woman that's that's traumatized, I don't think I can handle it, which is totally fine. Um, we never want to force anybody to do something that they're not ready for or mm. not able to do. Um, but we have volunteer opportunities that have nothing to do with these women, but have everything to do with helping support these women outside of it. So we have a gratitude team that writes thank you cards, and we have office um, help that you know helps stuff letters and do all sorts of wonderful things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also have really practical needs. Um, 
you know, helping directly with the women, you know, driving them to appointments or helping serve a shift in our safe home. Um, and there's a whole big, huge training for this and a whole process to get involved with that. But if they're interested, they can go to our website and we have a volunteer section right there. And who counsels them? I assume they, they have intense counseling. We do what's called wraparound services. So our, our safe home and our program um, is a two-year program. Um, you know, it, it can be two-ish years, depending on the woman. Um, there's no, like, cutoff date. It's really about her recovery time and her journey. Um, but what we're doing in that time is we're setting up services for her that are out in the community. So we set her up with a doctor that's out in the community, a psychiatrist that's out in the community, a therapist that's out in the community, and various groups that are out in the community. Because once she's finished with us in two years, really what's happening is she needs to see that I'm setting up myself for myself a community of support that I still will need after I leave this program. Because two years, really, they it's an incredible work that they're doing, but they still are scratching the surface on so many things and they're going to need counseling for many, many years after this. And so if their counselor was an Amira staff member, we wouldn't be doing them any justice or any good. Um, and so that's why we do the wraparound model. So that way they can build support for themselves. Have you seen women or girls who have gone through this and, and come out on the other side and, and have normal lives? Yeah, I mean, we've had graduates. Uh, so our home opened in October of 2015, and we had three graduates already. Um, it, it's uh, I always kind of try to let people know you need to lay your expectations down on what looks normal. Um, these women have lived extremely difficult, hard lives, and mm. so they're not going to come out looking like Stephanie Clark. You know, mm. that's not the purpose. But they're going to come out looking healed for them, and able to function in society, and able to make it on their own. Um, not going back to the cycle of exploitation. That's what our goal is for them. All right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Stephanie Clark. She's the executive director of Amira. It's a nonprofit organization in Boston that strives to create a safe haven for the victims and survivors of sex trafficking. Stephanie, there's a um, spectrum of exploitation in the sex industry, and it can be confusing since it's a topic that's really talked about. So can you explain the difference between sex trafficking and prostitution? Because, you know, when... You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is prostitution is seems like more of a choice. But, you know, is it really? You're right. All right. That's so, a great question. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would, I'm wondering if you could kind of explain that difference. Well, I, I usually use the term prostituted woman if that makes sense, um, rather than labeling her a prostitute, um, that she was prostituted, okay. whether she chose to do that herself because of the various choices that she had in her life. Yeah. Um, and really, again, what are those choices? Um, if I can't buy milk for my kids, mm -hmm. or right. then I have to go out and do this. And, and why does she have to have that choice? Um, that's, a, that's, so, a great, that's a great point. I can't buy milk for my kids. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, because it's such an incredibly fine line. It really is. It really is. And so we are, um, for us, we're firm um, supporters of survivors and, and firm uh, about listening to survivors and, and, and in this movement as, as well. Um, there is, we live in America, and so we live in the land of the free, and so it's really a little bit sticky um, right now. Um, I think if you look in, you know, the Netherlands, Netherlands has legalized prostitution. Um, uh, but what they did instead of uh, legalizing prostitution and actually putting some sort of um, 
putting some sort of uh, legislation to protect uh, those that might be trafficked. They didn't do anything like that. And so the Netherlands, there are case studies that show that the trafficking there is 80 to 90% because there's really nothing stopping a trafficker coming in now. Um, Whereas in Norway, um, this is the the Nordic model, they legalized prostitution. But what they did on top of that was said, if you are caught buying or selling another human being, you're going to serve actual jail time. And so they, if if you, the the statistics there are that trafficking is actually down to less than 10% now Um, because there's, there's actual real, you know, problems if you get caught and so we live in this weird sticky world where we you know and we have one state where prostitution is legal nevada um and then every other state you know it's not but then at the same time we don't really have huge laws against people from buying sex it's a fine right now it's a slap on the wrist um and so we're not going after the demand side enough to right. be able to actually tackle right. this problem enough and the fine probably is big deal these are probably a lot of them are very wealthy men right they tend to be yes yeah so how does a woman get trafficked the word is vulnerable um and and really it's it's not just women it's men too uh that needs to be stated um you know so this is across genders um, it's across economy lines, it's across race lines, it does not matter. And so a trafficker is looking for somebody that is vulnerable. Um, we've had, and I'm going to revert back to women because we we work with women in our safe home, you know, but we've had women that were in the foster care system and this was what made them vulnerable. Um, they you know, were being bounced around from house to house to house. They never felt that somebody actually loved them. They felt abandoned. They They went through all those issues. We had, we've had women in our home that were dealing with just huge blows of grief that the person in their life that was so important, whether it was a mother figure or a father figure, um, passed away and, and they could not deal with that grief because they had never um, dealt with this before and the one safe person that was in their life is no longer there. And so this led them to them being vulnerable. Um, we've had women that they were vulnerable because they were already addicted to opiates in the first place. And a trafficker saw that and said, Hey, I can get you more. And then we've had women that have quote unquote, you know, normal parents. And and this is, you know, really what I always try to hammer away. It does not matter, you know, really. I mean, cause people always want to say, okay, well it has to be really the poor kids in, in Lynn or the poor kids in Revere. And, no, I've had women that had, you know, quote unquote, normal parents that, you know, work normal jobs, but they just weren't around a ton and their daughters went off with this guy because this guy promised them great things. Like what kind of great things? Um, it's really, it's, it's a psychological manipulation. And so if you've never necessarily believed that you're beautiful, but then all of a sudden a really good looking guy says how beautiful you are. Um, and, and really that's kind of the hook right then and there. Mm-hmm. He's paying attention to me. And he's offering me love and I've never felt this before. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, buying me a few trinkets and they might be, you know, a Gucci bag or, you know, something like this. And it might be something as small as just a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on the vulnerability of that girl. And I do say girl because the average age is 14 years old for this to start. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so it, it really just depends. So how big is this issue? Is it as big as everyone claims it to be? 
Yes. And then, you know, and then we have to deal with people that kind of spit back in our face and say, well, how can you find out really? And and the problem is, you know, trafficking is so underground and so hidden. Um, it's what the, the term is hidden in plain sight. So it's just, you know, not really, you can't just sit back and say, okay, let's start counting numbers because everybody gets moved and, and it's really, really hard to kind of figure that out. Um, but we know in New England, there are thousands of women and, and men getting trafficked right here um, throughout all the states of New England. Um, you know, I was out to dinner the other day with my family um, in Woburn, Massachusetts, and I walked outside and there was a woman standing with two police um, at a at a uh, hotel and I could just tell, yeah, there's something going on there. And I walked right over and I gave him my business card and he said, yep, we'll, give, we'll be giving you a call. You know, and so, I mean, it's just it's right here in our face if we actually would open up our eyes to see. Um, and with the opiate crisis that we're dealing with, it's only going to get larger because this is, again, a very big, vulnerable population. Right. So why do people put their head in the sand? Yeah. You know, what? what is it? Why Why do they do that? Why, why would they put their head in the it's sand? It's hard. Yeah. I know. It is. It's ugly. It's ugly. But, yeah. 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 But, I think. And, and so first, we should probably thank all the people for still listening yeah, um, you know, to this. Yeah. Um, anytime I speak anywhere, I'm always thanking people for coming out because we're not shying away from this topic. We're, we're walking straight into evil. And so you need to choose to do this with us. Um, and this is a huge problem and it's messy. Mm -hmm. It's complex. You're dealing with complex trauma. You're dealing with years and years and years of trauma for these women and, and boys as well too. And it does not have an easy fix and it often has relapse and you need to be willing to walk the mile with them. Are you able to go home at night and, and shut it down? Yeah, <laughs> but that's because I'm called to do this work. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering if, if you know, or you take it with you and it, it brings you down and, um, you know, because oftentimes when people are in this kind of profession, it can be very draining on them. Mm, yeah, that is true. And we are very protective of our staff, um, particularly our program staff that they, you know, are working directly with the women every single day and they might be hearing, you know, stories themselves, there's vicarious trauma that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, so all the staff at Amira, you know, we have support outside of, um, you know, our, uh, we have support for ourselves, you know, whether we're seeing a therapist or um, a mentor or something along those lines uh, to be able to make sure that we're getting everything out that we need to get out. Um, every single, you know, member on the staff at Amira, we, we are very big on work-life balance um, and making sure that you're capable of doing this. And so our first priority is always to each other um, because if we are doing well ourselves, then we can serve the women that we need to serve. Um, and so we're, we really try hard to make sure that we're doing well with that. So Amira is specifically for women, men, not men? Yeah, it is specifically for women. There's actually only one safe home for men in all of America. Oh my goodness. And so, and why, because there's so many more women that this happens to, or? Um, I, well, first you're talking about a problem that's only been talked about now for maybe two decades, right? Mm. And so there's a lack of beds in general. The last I knew there was 548 beds total in America for this. Um, and so you're talking about a lack of beds across the board, no matter what. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, it, 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 when it started and talked about, started and talked about primarily with all the women that this is happening to. And while I do think this happens 
more to women than to men, there still is a huge population of men that this is happening to in boys. And so this is an issue that we're going to have to tackle down the road with how do we support mm-hmm. the male survivors and what does that look like? Because um, it does look different than supporting the women survivors as well, too. So. Um, actually, one of my interns has a question. She wanted to know what the most notable difference is when dealing with men who have been through this trauma versus a woman. So good question, Mary mm-hmm. Ellis. It's very good timing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of the biggest differences is that uh, a male, it takes a lot longer for them to identify and and tell somebody that this has happened to them. Why so? Um, psychological reasons. Um, you know, I'm I'm not a man, so I can't really <laughs> fully understand it. But mm. there's something about um, a man not. There, there's so much shame. Mm. There's shame, anyways, for yeah. anybody that this is happening to. But for a man, the the shame is complex. And so, you know, we have a partner that he does consulting work um, in Boston with male survivors. And he has told me, you know, that he is seeing, you know, he does absolutely see guys that this is happening to immediately, but he sees usually men, you know, five, 10 years down the road, and now they're opening up to him. Yeah, that happened to me. Um, And so it's just different. And so it looks different on what what the recovery is going to need. So... So are the men being trafficked by other men or women? Both. Both. And same with the women, too. Oh, okay. So women are criminals as much as the men? Yep, absolutely. Which More so one or the other? Mm, I couldn't answer that. That would be a question for law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, we do need to take a short break, but when we come back, I would love to talk a little bit more about the trauma recovery work and what that actually looks like. So listeners, stay with us here. We're talking about sex trafficking with the executive director of Amira. Don't go away. We will be right back. My time's coming. Burn fast, glow long. Life is a game, just stay strong. One day you Coffee no longer has to be a guilty pleasure. You've heard that red wine is good for you because of nature's most potent antioxidant, resveratrol. Vera Roasting Company makes the only coffee infused with it. Each cup of Vera's coffee delivers the same amount of resveratrol as found in a glass of red wine without the alcohol, sulfates, or tannins. Years of medical studies indicate that regular resveratrol in our diets promote cardiovascular health, slows the progression of certain cancers, Alzheimer's disease, and type 2 diabetes. Vera Roasting Coffee won double-blind taste tests against the leading coffees. Vera Roasting also offers its delicious heart-healthy coffees with added vitamin D to help Ward off the winter blues. You can't get Vera Roasting Coffee in stores. You need to go to veraroasting.com. Free and fast shipping is always available. veraroasting.com. Vera, like Vera Bradley, go to veraroasting.com. That's veraroasting.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutoria with stucco walls and beam ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Restaurante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiarestaurante.com. 
It can be easy to lose sight of your dreams and aspirations, especially when they seem so out of reach. Between school, kids, and work, your true desires can get left on the back burner. But you should never settle for less than what you deserve and what you know in your heart of hearts you want to do. Carrie Hummingbird has developed a program that will cast away your fear and self-doubt and inspire you to take charge of your life. But don't take my word for it. Christina Wolf took the program and described it as a trustworthy guide to show you how to transform yourself at the soul level. You will have to dig deep, and it won't be easy, but then again, nothing worth having is. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone, and your comfort zone ends at the Reinvent Yourself program. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.carriehummingbird.com. You'll be glad you did. Your body is not the only part of you that needs training. Your brain needs it too. Decision making and focus are one of the most important skills to accomplish your goals in life. Combat brain training is the first targeted neuroplasticity training that actually improves your cognitive ability to observe, decide, and act better and faster. Unlike digital-based programs that research shows create minimal or no real-world benefits, it incorporates portable handheld training tools that utilize all parts of the brain. 100% of the people who have followed the program report significant improvements in performance regardless of starting cognitive baseline. This program is perfect for anyone looking to accelerate their thinking process and really focus more effectively on any task at hand. Don't wait any longer. Go to CombatBrainTraining.com and find out more. All right, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. We are discussing sex trafficking with the executive director of Amira, which is a nonprofit organization in Boston that strives to create a safe haven for the victims and survivors of sex trafficking. We're talking to Stephanie Clark. So welcome back, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us today on Talk with Francesca. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what does trauma recovery actually look like? I like to talk about it in inches of growth. Um, you know, we, we often, I'm a huge goal oriented person. And so, you know, every year I type up my resolutions and plan out all the amazing things I'm going to do, but that is really, and, and I know there's so many people out there that do the same thing, but that's not what trauma recovery looks like. Um, trauma recovery is really about building trust in order for walls to be breaking down. Um, we've had women that have been, have gone through our entire two year, you know, program and are actually, you know, living great. And, and doing great work on their own now. Um, but I, I always joke around because one woman, it took her one year to be able to open up to her therapist about what was actually happening and what happened in her life. That kind of tells you, you know, how long it can take for somebody to be willing to break down that wall of shame and break through and say, I actually trust this person now. Shame They've about been what? in my life. Shame about what? The shame of being trafficked, the shame of the identity surrounding, um, right. you know, that I was trafficked. They, anybody that has been trafficked, they have a huge identity crisis um, because the trafficker uses mental manipulation and emotional manipulation. And so he's constantly, and I say he, but it could be a hmm. she, are, they're battering this, this person down and so? they are... Well, they're using the I am statements, so, or, you know, the you are statements. So, you know, you're worthless and you're a whore and you are not loved by anybody and there's nobody out there that's going to take care of you and this is why you have to stay. And so it's not a physical chain. 
that is keeping that woman there. It is an emotional and mental lock that they have such a hard time breaking. Mm-hmm. And so they... when a woman comes through that, she's then dealing with not only the the horror of everything that she's been through, but this vicious cycle of shame that she has to be able to break. Oh, how sad. Yeah. And so we call, you know, the trauma recovery, I, I do call it inches of growth. You know, they come into our home and it's a huge lack of trust. You know, they're wearing sunglasses, their hood is up, they don't want to talk to us. And we just give them time and we give them space. And sure enough, within like a week, all of a sudden their hood is off. Um, their sunglasses are still on, but, you know, they, they are starting to break down, realizing that these people really are who they say they are. Um, and that just takes time and that takes relationship building. And these girls are 14 years old in that age group? Well, so our Jeez. home is for over the age of 18. Um, because once you reach 18 years old in the state of Massachusetts, then you can start to get arrested. Um, when you're under 18, uh, you're protected uh, by laws and you're not considered uh, a prostitute. You are being trafficked no matter what. So wait, and, I, I didn't hear you. So you're saying that the girls are all under 18 in your home? No, no, no. They're over the age of 18. Over 18, okay. Yep. When they're under 18, DCF is getting, getting involved. And what, are, what can they do for them? Anything really? Um, well, whatever DCF can do, um, it always depends on if they have available foster homes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, and obviously that's as well a huge need in this state. So they live there. Is that right? Yes. We're a safe home. So they're coming to live with us. Yes. And how long are they there? Two years? Uh, it's a long-term program. So usually if a woman is with us for the full term, it'll be about two years that she's with us. Yeah. How often do they decide on their own that they just can't stay? I mean, because it's obviously very difficult yeah, work, it is, right? it is extremely difficult work, and there's a lot of recidivism that can happen um, within this work. Um, so we are actually about 60% um, success rate right now. The national average for safe homes with this population is 30%, so we're, we're doing a little bit better than the national average. Um, but we're, we're still trying to flesh out, you know, why is that? Mm. Um, and what, what is different about what we're doing that this is, this might be working a little bit better. What I'm do you not think quite sure yet. What do you think it is? Um, one, I think we, we go about things very, very differently. Every woman that has come into our safe home, they have said from the get go, I've never been in a program like this. Um, and I'm not sure. If that's because, you know, a lot of women have gone through many, many institutions in their time of being trafficked, you know, whether it's rehab centers um, or other various places. And we're just we're not that, you know, we want to treat them as an individual. We want to love them unconditionally. And that's just really not something that they've ever felt. And so I think that's really what makes us different. Are you as the executive director, are you actually in the trenches of the daily, um, you know, the structure of the day? Um, not necessarily in the huge trenches. Um, so I oversee the entire organization and I also get to work directly with the staff. Um, I'm, I'm not the program. I'm not involved in the program as far as like, you know, directly with the women doing some sort of programmatic work. Um, but what I get to do is just kind of hang out with them, um, and be in their lives, which I enjoy so much. It's usually the highlight of my month when I get to do that. So who creates the program? That's our program director, Heather Thornburg. Mm-hmm. And how does she come up with what she does? Um, actually, Amira uh, formed our model off of several different models that were out there. Um, so, you know, Amira started 
you know, we were one of the very first safe homes to get going in New England. And so there really wasn't a ton out there. Um, but we kept hearing, you know, if you're going to do something, you need to do more than just give them a bed. You need to help them with their um, vo- vocational stuff and you need to help them with social skills. And you need to help them with all these various things. And so this kind of hammered the way, okay, we're going to do whole person care recovery. So we're treating their physical, mental, emotional, social, vocational, and spiritual recovery. Um, and then we we heard time and time again, particularly from survivors, if you're going to do this, you need to be trauma informed. And that means that you're individualizing the program based on what she's been through, because what one woman has been through is not the same as what another woman has been through. And, and so you can't just cookie cutter a program. You really have to write it individually for what her needs are. And so that was hammered away over and over by survivors um, that spoke to us and said, this is what we, this is what we need. And this is what we would have needed if we had a program that we were going through. And so we took those resources and then developed our own um, program from that. But how can it be different from one girl to the next where it's, I mean, manipulation, psychological manipulation is psychological manipulation, right? Uh, Yes and no. You know, what, what they're being psychologically manipulated about by and about and what was the triggers from that so one woman you know might have been psychologically manipulated because her dad died and another woman might have been psychologically manipulated because she was addicted to porn um you know just two very different psychological manipulations that are happening there on top of that too you know i've had women that have college degrees and then i've had women that don't have a high school diploma and so their vocational training is hugely different um and so you have to individualize what they they need because their goals and who they want to be is going to be very, very different. What is the, I, you know, I'm wondering about education and, you know, poverty and that kind of thing, because you just touched on that a little bit and said that it isn't necessarily, you know, the poor or um, not coming from a good background. So what, what would make, you know, an Ivy League graduate, you know, who has everything she could possibly want in the world get into something like that? Or is that not typical? And the reason you I know, I don't there... want to say that that's not typical because I'm sure there's some story out there of a woman that is her story. Um, you know, it, it just depends on what is making that woman vulnerable in that moment that, right. that she's willing to listen to that man and go with him. It just reminds me um, a little different, but I had interviewed a woman, Leslie Morgan Steiner, um, actually a couple of years ago, and she had written a book called Crazy Love, and it was all about, a, you know, abusive relationship. And, you know, and she was an Ivy League graduate, very, very bright girl. And, and she got into this, this situation. She could not get out of this this relationship she just could not get out and he even beat her up the night before the wedding and she still went through and married him um I mean she finally found her way out but um you know so you know I mean it just I I would think it would be more with a vulnerable person it would be it's got to be more than just vulnerability it's got to be a lack of self-esteem um but that would be a vulnerability. Right. Of course. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so, so let's talk a little bit more about the trauma recovery work, what it, what it looks like. Get, get, walk us through a day. Yeah. Um, so every woman's day is a little bit different depending on where she's at in her program. You know, a woman that comes into our home and she's in this 30-day program with us to start, you know, her day really is kind of chocked full with just getting meetings done. Um, you know, we typically get them into intensive outpatient treatment for their uh, rehab um, and their substance abuse, where they're going to be learning coping skills and they're going to be learning 
um, just basics of how I can live my life day to day. Um, they'll probably be doing several appointments to get set up for services, you know, getting on health insurance, getting on food stamps, getting on all the basic things that we can get them um, to just give them support. Um, and then they'll probably go to a, a smart recovery meeting or an NA meeting or an AA meeting just so that way they're beginning to build that that drive that I'm leading my recovery here. Mm-hmm. Um, they typically, you know, end their day in the home. We have community dinner, um, which is, you know, probably one of the hardest things that they're ever going to have to go through because most of these women have not sat down for dinner as a family um, in a very, very long time, if ever. And if they did, it might be a very traumatizing thing for them. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to redeem that um, for them. And then, you know, they, they end their night and try to go to bed, but most women don't really sleep, especially in the first, you know, six months of their time with us. It's really, really difficult to sleep. Um, and then they wake up and they do it all over again the next day. Are uh, they able and, to make friends? Yeah. The Those women yeah. come together as a community. It's, it's probably one of the most beautiful things that we get to watch is mm-hmm. seeing these women be vulnerable with each other um, and, and, really love and support each other. You know, if one's going through a hard time and a rough day, you know, just watching them come together and be there for one another. It's, it's an amazing thing to watch. Mm-hmm. But you know, when women are, are so disturbed from what they've gone through, I mean, there, there's got to be boundary issues and, and, you know, saying one thing to someone that they shouldn't say that, that makes it worse. Does that, that come up? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's an organic house. So some yeah. days it's wonderful and some days it's not. Yeah. Um, and it's an organic house filled with traumatized, you know, individuals. So it, it really can be not on some days. Yeah. Yeah. What do, what do you do for um, bringing joy into their life? I mean, do they have like, you know, volunteers who teach yoga? I, I used to actually teach yoga at the Women in Transition in um, Salisbury uh, many years ago. Um, so I, you know, was just thinking about about things that can help them to, you know, really just bring their whole nervous system down. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, that we, kind of stuff. Do you have anything like that that goes on painting night? I don't know anything just to kind of get them away from Cause you know, I mean, you, you can only do so much counseling and, and right. Right. And then it just, it's almost like there's gotta be some reprieve. There's gotta be some balance. Yep. And we're very much about that. Um, so we're not really, uh, it, it's not like we, we don't want our home to feel like camp, if that makes sense. Like we don't want them to constantly feel structured. Um, and so there is a lot of alleviated time like that, you know, you, we can set up a time for you to go shopping and we can set, you know, set up a time for you to just go be quote unquote normal. Um, we have community events that we do, whether that's, you know, taking them to the Topsfield Fair or out to the movies or just out for dinner altogether and, and just trying to do normal things within their life. Um, there are great therapies that we get them connected to that are, you know, whether that's trauma yoga or um, we do equine therapy. Uh, the women love hanging out with the horses. Um, mm, and, I bet. And, I yeah, was thinking about that animals. Animals are so healing. It's just. Yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, I always so, say the dog is God spelled backwards. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? So I mean, there are a lot of great avenues for our women um, to really work on their healing um, without ever realizing, oh, I'm, this is my time to work on my healing. You know. Now, can they go out and do their own thing? And I mean, they're, they're, it's not like they're in lockdown or anything. So can Correct, they just, yeah. right? It's so, a grown, grown adult woman um, and we're not, you know, a prison for them. So I mean, so if they want to walk out the door, that's fine. But then I, I would assume that, you know, you know who's there. And if then someone doesn't come back, then what? 
then we're calling the people that we need to call and we're trying to find her. Um, but that's between us and the, the woman if she's, if she's choosing not to come back. So, yeah. How often does that happen? Um, so again, we, we are at like a 60% success yeah. rate. So, um, you know, we've been open now for two and a half years. Um, we've been able to help, I think 14 women in that time. So mm. how does it feel when you, when a woman doesn't come back, does it, do you take that personally? It's the worst day of our lives right. in all honesty. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that you take it personally. It just is, um, it's like losing, losing a part of you is really what it is. And you can't stop them. We, we can't stop them from choosing to go back. We can't stop them at all. And so it really makes you realize how much you have no control over anything in this world, wow. which is a hard thing for anybody to realize. Exactly. So what about if the trauma happens to be generational? Do those kinds of traumas tend to be a little harder to manage? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely a huge, a huge issue. Um, you know, when what we see generationally typically too is the trafficker itself. So how did the, how did the trafficker become a trafficker? Um, ah, this is often right. a generational thing. Um, you know, so my mom did this, my dad did this, and this is a learned trait, and this is now what uh, I'm going to be doing. Uh, yeah. um, which and, and so that's a broken system right there that has to get restored. And, and you know, something is broken within that, that, that they now have this mindset that this is okay, that I can sell other human beings. Um, and so <sighs> it, it can be a huge generational thing across the board. Um, uh, for traffickers, for buyers, and then as well for those that are being trafficked. Yeah, I guess it's like abuse, you know, it's okay to abuse because they were abused too. It's Same, very, very right? cyclical, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if people who are in jail, I mean, they're, they're, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's got to be pretty darn high of people who um, have been abused who then have abused Right. Mm. And it's so I, I would think that this would, you know, where if it is generational, I would think that would be quite a bit harder to manage. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're just tuning in this morning and listening to Talk with Francesca, I'm speaking with Stephanie Clark, who's the executive director of Amira, which is a nonprofit organization in Boston that uh, strives to create a state, safe haven for the victims and survivors of sex trafficking, of which we're discussing. Um, Stephanie, do you have any statistics on sex trafficking in the U.S. that you can share? Um, that, it, what you would want to do, because they're huge, there's so many statistics out there. Mm-hmm. Um, po- Polaris, P-O-L-A-R-I-S, mm-hmm. they're the national trafficking hotline number, which I should say, you know, for anybody that's saying they're going, what on earth can I do? Just Google that number and put it in your cell phone. Um, so that way you have it. Um, anytime you see something, you can call and say something. Um, but they have some incredible um, just reports that they have been putting out on the numbers that they are getting as far as all the phone calls that they're getting and the reports that they're getting, um, you know, that are across America. Um, and so I would definitely recommend that you would look at, at their website um, mm-hmm. for all of their reports. And then as well, the the U.S. government puts out the tip report every single year. Um, and that is on a global scale as well that's happening. Um, I will say this, you know, I started getting into this work three years ago. Um, and back then it was known that human trafficking, which includes not just sex trafficking, but also labor trafficking and um organ harvesting and all the various forms of trafficking at that time globally was profiting 32 billion dollars mm-hmm. 
Now, three years later, it is known that globally human trafficking is profiting $150 billion. And so this kind of tells you where we're at now with how much information is being able to be, you know, brought about. Um, I think the great um, statisticians are getting so much better at being able to talk through numbers that really are just really incredibly hard to find. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca, we do need to take a short break. We're talking about sex trafficking. When we come back, I'd love to talk about the um, Centoya Brown case. She was sentenced 14 years ago at age 16 for killing a man who picked her up. Um, Are you familiar with that? Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. So when we come back, stay with us here. We're living in a culture of violence, confusion, and trauma about what being a woman really means, and this encompasses our boundaries and our pleasure. Dr. Syeda Desolay gives women the tools to take action, to reclaim their lives and their voices while keeping their integrity intact. If you have the audacity to live life on your terms, to overcome setbacks in your life and reclaim your life and your body, visit MyReclamation.com and free life-changing webinar with Dr. Syeda. We all suffer from something. ADHD, depression, motion sickness, Lyme disease, back pain. What is the one thing you're so tired of looking for a remedy for? Are you ready to change that? Are you ready to restore your help and transform your life? It all starts with Dr. Kathy Fry and the power of homeopathy. All the tools you need to mastering everyday self-care without drugs will be right at your fingertips. From remedy kits to books and even a free 20-minute consultation. Your journey to natural healing starts at drkathyfry.com. So what are you waiting for? Start living your best life today. Ladies, it's time to enjoy a new you. Stop hiding. Instead, experience a tradition of quality results and a standard of excellence in service with a plastic surgery and skincare practice at Premier Plastic Surgery of New England, located at 75 Herrick Street in Beverly. Whether you're seeking enhancement, reconstruction, or skincare, Premier Plastic Surgery is the only place to visit. Premier Plastic Surgery of New England offers a synergetic approach to cosmetic and reconstructive procedures, so you'll achieve the best aesthetic result possible. Contact Premier Plastic Surgery of New England to schedule your consultation today. Call 978-927-6656 or visit them at ppsofne.com. Discover the solution you've been searching for. Plan to expect rejuvenation and more when you experience exceptional results in plastic surgery and skincare. Contact Premier Plastic Surgery today. What are you waiting for? Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza. 
that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Right, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. We're discussing sex trafficking with the executive director of Amira, Stephanie Clark. Well, welcome back, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So the the uh, I don't even know how to pronounce the name. Centoya is that how you say it? Centoya, Centoya Brown case. Yep. Yep. Uh, sentenced 14 years ago at age 16 for killing a man who picked her up. What are your thoughts on that? Well. You know, I'm going to stand by the survivors. I'm, I'm always going to stand by the survivors. Um, and so, uh, you know, anybody, we, we know now that anybody that's under the age of 18, you you cannot call them a prostitute. You, they are not choosing to do this. Nobody under the age of 18 is choosing to do this. Um, and so the fact that, you know, you can Google her story and it still says, you know, she was a 16-year-old prostitute this is just wrong. It's, it's not, right. it's, it's not what was happening. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm standing by survivors that speak out against the fact that this is one of their sisters, um, you mm-hmm. know, and, and everything, you know, that happened um, and how it all happened is extremely, you know, just heartening and disturbing and so incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is she was 16 years old. Right. Um, and we now have laws now today that will tell you then no, she's, she's being trafficked. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, one of those things where, again, we're trying to play catch up to something that's been around, you know, longer than any of us have ever existed. Um, yeah. You know, when you talk about a 16 year old girl, um, I mean, really, you know, they're victims. I mean, they really, really are. Of course, you know, we all are a product of our choices, but our choices sometimes are made based on what we've been told, as you said, you know, the way we've been treated, the way we've, you know, people have talked to us. And these things all do matter, you know. Right. Um, just um, last weekend, 
um, there was a, a carjacking in my town and it was a, you know, I don't know, a youngish girl. And, you know, of course, I mean, it, it was a crazy, I actually, you know, saw the whole thing and it was very, mm. very scary. And, um, but, but, you know, it was sad because, you know, of course, everyone's thinking this crazy girl, it was a young girl who actually had stolen this or had attempted to steal a car. And, and yes, I mean, obviously she's not normal, um, but it was you know, sad to me. It's like, where did this girl come from? You know, she just, she don't wake up one day and you come out, you know, she didn't come out of the womb like a, a criminal, right? Right. You know, right. and I'm certainly not justifying any kind of behavior. I mean, you can't have, you know, people uh, behaving like this in, in the world. I mean, we, you know, we need structure and order for sure, but just, it, you know, it's, it's sad, you know, it's sad that, that people don't, the, you know, everyone, everyone's struggling, but, but people who are in these kinds of situations, sex, sex trafficking, prostitution, I mean, they're struggling more, more so, you know, and, or, or maybe not necessarily more so, but they don't have the tools to, to make the right decisions. Right. Or the resources available for them. All right. Um, I think about the women that come into our program, um, and the fact that our case manager, our program clinician, she'll spend 30 hours on the phone for them within that first week to get them on mass health. Because that's how long it takes. Because the system is so backed up. Really? And so you think about oh, a yeah. woman that's living out on the streets and living through the cycle of exploitation and she knows she needs health insurance. She's not going to spend 30 hours of her life on the phone trying to get it. Mm-hmm. She's going to hear that beep and hear that beep and then hang up. And so it's just, it's, it's, we are trying to offer them services that are backed up beyond belief and then you're, you're never going to get those things. Yeah. What are some of the worst days that you've had? You know, I think the worst days really are. We're going to talk about the best days you've had too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to, yeah, that's just the order of the questions, but anyway. Yeah. The, the worst days really are when a woman does choose um, to go back to the cycle of exploitation. Yeah. And we call, it, we call it a cycle of exploitation because it is. You yeah, know, yeah. They're, they're being trafficked. They might run away from their trafficker, but then now they're a drug addict. So what do I know how to do? So then they um, self-prostitute and, and, and then they choose to do that so that they can support their habit. And then they end up in jail. And, and it's just this vicious cycle. <coughs> Excuse me. And so when you're offering them you know a chance at life and then they just are not ready to do it and they choose to go Mm. back Mm. that is the hardest day um and it's the worst day because you can't sit there and force somebody to do it because they've already been forced to do enough things right they've been punished unnecessarily and so they are in their own prison little do they know that their door is wide open and they can get out of that cage but Right, but I mean, so often with people with mental illnesses, they just can't get out of the cage, even though, as I said, the door is wide open. But I mean, there's got to be a level of mental illness going on with all this too. Well, definitely. I mean, every single woman that we're encountering has PTSD, which is a mental disorder, right then and there. Um, and, and so you're you're talking about disabilities right off the bat. And most people think of okay, well, disability has to be somebody in a wheelchair, right. somebody that wasn't born with a limb, and Uh, No, actually, mental health disorders are are huge disabilities. And if a woman can't choose, can't go to a grocery store and pick a, do I want romaine lettuce or do I want iceberg lettuce without having a panic attack, you have a problem, you know? And and so these are the things that we face with them is just the things that 
you know, nobody else would ever, ever envision. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's debilitating for them. It's debilitating well, to live life. Well, Stephanie, you're doing great work. Um, what Thanks. are some of the days, um, the best days that you've had? the good the good actually does outweigh the bad which is which is something i'm extremely grateful for because um, this work is very very difficult work um you know i love getting the phone calls from my staff hey this woman you know we had a woman that she passed all five of her ged tests and she had never ever thought in a million years that i was going to get my ged and then she passed all five of her tests and she has her GED now. Not only does she have her GED, but she has a part-time job and she's talking about going to college. And so there's just such hope, you know, right then and there. Um, Every year we do what we call hike for hope and we hike up Mount Washington because my husband decided let's go hike Mount Washington. And um, I'm killing him for this now because it's so huge. Um, But last year uh, we had 48 people out in the community that hiked up Mount Washington and raised money for us, which was awesome. And two of our women decided we're going to go hike it as well too. And, and that was just, that was one of the best days because, you know, here's these two women that, you know, total street women never ever been out in nature and they are hiking up the tallest mountain for the very first mountain that they're ever hiking in all of New England. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made it all the way to the top and you can bet there was tears of anger as well as joy all the way up. But, you know, that is just one of the best days ever, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and just getting to watch these women become I always say we, we watch them become the woman that they were created to be not the slave that they were forced to be that's really yeah. the, the beautiful thing do you think that you know they can progress along and then years later something triggers uh sure. the past especially where they have PTSD and then they're they're down again does that ever absolutely happen? yeah that absolutely yeah. You're, I mean you're talking about a woman that is dealing with trauma but then on top of that, you're talking about, you know, substance abuse addiction. Mm, I mean, you, you look right. at the story of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was clean for, what, 25 or 30 years and mm-hmm. then relapsed one time and o- overdosed. You know, so this wow, is I not mean, something yeah. that... You never know. You, you never know. And and there's nothing that we're going to be able to do to predict that from happening or not happening. But that shouldn't be why we should or should not do this work. Right. We have, Stephanie, just a, about a minute left. How can people who would like to get involved do so? Well, they can come and check out our website, um, which currently is still amirboston.org, but will soon be amirnewengland.org. But either way, if they type either, it will go to the right place. Uh-huh. Um, and there, there's an, a huge section on getting involved, whether that's volunteering or hosting an event for us. I mean, the biggest thing that you can do is you guys now know that this is happening. you got to start telling people because there are people out there every single day that I tell that they're like, wait, this happens here. And this happens to women from here. And so that's really what we want to try to constantly do. Um, they can donate to us. We're always looking for amazing people to join our community of donors um, and, and just become a great supporter of these women because they are awesome women and they deserve every chance at life. Yes. Well, Stephanie Clark, thank you so much for joining us today on Talk with Francesca. And this is such important information. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that I had an opportunity to interview you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. You take care. All right, it's time to wrap things up. Got to say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week.